You're listening to episode number 19 of the Heart and Hustle podcast. We are your hosts, Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman. Today, our special guest is the incredible Mike Vulcan. Mike is often referred to as the king of freelancing, has been freelancing for over a decade with resounding success, and he's had dozens of media appearances spanning radio, TV, and podcasts, and has also been featured on the homepage of Upwork. As a best-selling author who has built and sold four companies, Mike continues to inspire entrepreneurs throughout the world, helping freelancers break free from the corporate rat race and spearhead their own successful careers. Mike Vulcan is a serial entrepreneur, U.S. Army veteran, and author of five books, one being a bestseller. He has built and sold four of his own companies and worked with over 400 companies as a fractional chief marketing officer, or a CMO. Currently, Mike is the lead instructor of Freelancer Masterclass, which is a nine-step online course designed to help freelancers grow their business and increase their time off. Uh, Can we get a holla there? In today's show, we talk all about neuroplasticity and brain hacks for the busy entrepreneur to maximize productivity and memory in the midst of our chaotic workloads. He talks about a memorization hack that will absolutely change your life, trust us, we were shook, (laughs) and time management and productivity strategies that will cut out all the time you're wasting in your business. And even at the end of today's show, one of the most comprehensive lists of marketing strategies that we have ever heard. The best part, every single strategy Mike drops in today's episode is immediately actionable. So if you are ready to walk away with a pile of the most tangible business strategies and brain hacks you've ever heard, keep your butt right where it is. Unless, of course, you're walking or working out or something, in which case you continue to do you. (laughs) But before we dive in to today's episode, let's hear the review of the week. This one is from Sarah C. And she says, the best. Wow. This podcast is so full of specific, actionable steps for people like me who are working to become creative entrepreneurs. Lindsay and Evie have really mastered their craft and approach their business with such authenticity, joy, strategy, humility, and lightheartedness. I love how they use their voices to empower more people to use their own gifts and serve people well. I also love the guests they bring on. They each have something a little different to add to my tool belt and when it comes to creative entrepreneurship would highly recommend this show to other creative dreamers who want to use their skills to impact the world. So good. Sarah, thank you so much. That means the world to us. And we read every single review, guys. Not even kidding. Thank you for the time you take to write those. And now let's get on to the show. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast with Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman, two photographers turned entrepreneurs and founders of the Heart University. If you're a creative entrepreneur or a motivated dreamer wanting to make the most of your life, this podcast is for you. Each week, Evie and Lindsay bring you actionable tools to uplevel your business and life. So if you're ready to step up to the plate and pursue your God-given potential, you're in the right place. You're ready to live your life and run your business to its fullest? Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. Mike, welcome to the Heart and Hustle podcast. We are so stoked to have you. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Yes. Well, for all of our listeners, um, if you don't know who Mike Vulcan is, he is a serial entrepreneur. You are a U.S. Army vet. You have wrote five books. You are just an incredible entrepreneur that helps freelancers um, just kind of break into the market. So for all of our audience, I would love you to tell a little bit about your story and tell us how you got where you're at now. 
Yeah, um, I will do that. Uh, I had started becoming an entrepreneur in my, my uh, early 20s. Um, I don't like to say this, but it is kind of true. Osama bin Laden is my uh, is the reason why I became an entrepreneur. I actually joined the joined the army after 9-11 a few days after, um, you know, the terrorist attacks that he was in planned. Um, and, you know, when I got back out of the army, I had published a book. While I was in the army, I wrote a book, um, wow. not intending it for it to be a book. Uh, you know, long story short, I published a book. I was just fascinated with how I can just wake up and then notice, you know, check my email. I got like 10 orders for my book. I'm like, wow, that's really cool. So then I started teaching myself marketing and trying to sell more books. And and then I got a job and uh, somebody hired me to do their SEO, you know, do some freelancing SEO work. And then, you know, all that, you know, many, many years ago has just kind of culminated to where I'm at now. I'm what's called a fractional CMO. So companies will hire me to to head up the marketing department. Uh, even start a marketing department, do some hires, set processes and strategies in place. And uh, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. It's just uh, I do fractional CMO work for a few uh, startups. That's amazing. That's, that's so, so cool. cool. And I kind of want to touch on you. You kind of mentioned this, but I would love to hear you even expand just a tiny bit before we dive into all the entrepreneurial like business stuff. Um, you said you joined the army like a few days after 9-11. Mm-hmm. What was there like? a huge, like what was going on in your head through that? Why, what did that season of life, like joining right around then, like teach you that, do you feel like that prepared you for kind of who you are and where you are today? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think basically 9-11 had kind of brought out a little bit of patriotism, but also something on the inside of me that I just like never really bubbled to the surface. It's, um, you know, I was in my corporate job. I was getting paid a decent amount of money. I mean, I had a master's degree. I was a scientist at the time, a water chemist and you know, I just, I mean, I was just going through the motions. Like I guess most people do, right. They go to work at eight, they come home at five and they spend a couple hours doing whatever they want to do before they go to bed. And I just didn't see that as um, a way for me to live my life. Um, so I always had this kind of envy towards people who, uh, own their own business or, um, you know, work their own hours. And, um, when I decided to join the army, it was kind of like, uh, me just kind of resetting myself, even though it wasn't, it definitely wasn't the step in the, in the entrepreneur direction. Um, it created a different type of environment for me. I mean, I was hanging around scientists, PhDs, and master, people with master's degrees. And that one one month and the next month, I'm literally attached to the hip with my battle buddy who in basic training, you get assigned a battle buddy who you do everything with and you're responsible for. And he was a go to war, or go to jail uh, person the, the judge literally <laughs> told him, if you do not sign up for the army, I will put you in jail for 10 years. He did some kind of crime, uh, you know, so totally different wow. type of person. So, um, yeah, I was just, I spent, you know, the next eight years, I mean, mostly in the reserve, but several years active duty in Iraq and whatnot. Um, you know, just in a total 180 of where the society I was used to living in and that kind of, um, kind of sparked uh, an entrepreneur spirit in me indirectly. Um, and that's how I became an entrepreneur. Wow. Wow. That's so (laughs) cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mike, before like Lindsay asks you another question and we really dive into the entrepreneur stuff, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you either hate this question or not question. You hate this statement or it actually means something to you, but I just have to say Thank you for your service to our country. Thank you okay. for yeah. the sacrifice that you've made. And Lindsay and I both value that so, so much. So well, thank, thank you. you for those years. And we're excited well, that that brought you to where you are today. Thanks. Yeah. Well, you know, I certainly don't hate when somebody thanks me, but I'll tell you, um, I almost feel guilty accepting a thank you for something like that. Cause I don't really feel like 
I mean, yes, I did it for my country. And yes, I took like a, an 80% pay cut <laughs> um, going into the <laughs> army. But uh, at the very least, I don't feel like I need thanks for it. But uh, it's always mm -hmm. nice to hear. Yeah. My my husband is in the Coast Guard right now. So he's active duty and he wow. kind of feels the same a little bit. Um, Coast Guard yeah. doesn't do as much crazy intense stuff over in the Middle East, I guess, as the Army does. But um, he, he kind of feels the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, he feels the same whenever somebody thanks him for his time in the service. He's like, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Military but, people are pretty humble. Yeah. yeah. Typically, typically. So yeah. switching gears, you are a certified neuromarketer. You've even taken neuroscience in grad school. So what exactly, for our listeners, this is going to be the topic that we're going to get kind of dive into. What exactly is neuroplasticity? Yeah, a very interesting field. Um, neuroplasticity is a term that refers to the brain's amazing ability to change and adapt to our environment and situations. And from the moment our brain starts to develop until the day we die, the connections within the brain cells reorganize in response to our, our changing needs. So this neuroplastic brain we have allows us to learn from and adapt to different experiences. And the things we do um, often, we become stronger at. And our brains are constantly being shaped by our experience. And what's exciting is that in the last decade or so, because of the advances in technology, Scientists have confirmed through testing that our repeated thoughts, our actions actually reinforce the neural pathways. So essentially, your thoughts can actually physically change how your brain works, which is unbelievable to me. It's the complete opposite of what I learned in grad school. Um, wow. In grad school, we were taught that, uh, you know, hey, in fact, the, the professor said when I first got to uh, day one of the classes, hey, your your goal right now is just not let your brain decay. It's not going to um, it's not going to form new neural pathways. And now we know that it's 100% false and confirmed through, through testing. Wow. Wow. That's insane. So essentially, which this makes so much sense. I mean, I've, I've researched this a little bit and like read some books on this, but essentially if, for example, super simple, somebody is super confused or doesn't like structure, for example, calendars, timelines, like in their business, they sh really struggle with having like a structure of how they work. Mm -hmm. If they start implementing that and practicing that consistently in their business, they're going to become stronger and stronger in that area to the point that it becomes one of their strengths. Yes and no. It's not so much the structure. It's the process of understanding that you can learn um, and you can learn uh, your IQ can increase. Um, people, a lot of people think, well, I took my SATs in high school. This is pretty much, you know, I'm 50% of where I should be. I'm about half as smart. Uh, I mean, I'm about as smart as half the people out there. And th that's not true. You can actually increase your IQ. You can increase the capacity of uh, the brain, the, what the brain can absorb. You can increase the speed of what your brain can absorb. Uh, and, but like you said, I mean, if you change what you're doing and start using structure, then um, yes, any type of change creates new neural path, uh, new neural pathways and uh, increases the capacity of your brain to perform. That's amazing. Wow. I have so many thoughts on that. So <laughs> does everyone then have like that same capability to change their brain or is it like a one person type of thing? Like it varies person to person. Um, yes and no. So everyone has a neuroplastic brain. Um, and, and let me just define neuroplastic. It's not your brain. Your brain isn't really plastic, right? It's just, it's, it has the capabilities that plastic does where it's, it's kind of moldable and formable. 
Um, so everyone does have a neuroplastic brain, but every human is different. Some people are born with the ability to learn certain skills faster than others. Uh, I'm a tennis player. So take Roger Federer, for example, arguably the best tennis player who has ever lived. And there are billions of people who have played tennis, but he is the single best one. He hits the ball in the center of the racket every time, no matter how fast it's coming. He can hit a dime on the other side of the court pretty much at will. And then there's me, who I'm a competitive tennis player. And I, if I practice for 500 years, I couldn't reach that level. But it's more than just being born with a skill. It's developing that skill to take you from good to great is what really matters. And connections within the brain are constantly becoming stronger or weaker, depending on what is being used. Um, now, with that said, though, younger people change easily. Their brains are very neuroplastic. Um, children can learn foreign languages easier than an adult. And as we age, uh, change doesn't come so easily. The brain loses some of its plasticity and we become more fixed in how we think and how we learn our tendencies, how we perceive experiences. And uh, I like to think of it like walking in the snow. You know, it's the first time you're walking the path, you're making a new impression in the snow. That would be like creating a new neural pathway in your brain. Uh, the more emotion that is tied to a neural pathway, the deeper it is. So picture a walking along that same path in the snow over and over again. That pathway is becoming a deep neural connection in your brain. Um, you know, and this all goes back to in grad school when the, when the professor was saying, you know, you can't do that. It just, it's not done. You can't create new neural pathways. And we've literally witnessed this. I was on YouTube just last week looking at an actual neural pathway being created. They can film it. It's freaking Whoa. amazing. They can film. Wow, There's trillions really of them. Uh, there's trillions of neural pathways in your brain and scientists can now actually videotape it being connection being made. It's just, it's remarkable. Well, wow. I know what I'm YouTubing after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, Mike, we are so fascinated about all of this. So how then can entrepreneurs take advantage take advantage of neuroplasticity? Pla well, words, plasticity. Like how can we, yeah, <laughs> it's a mouthful. Yep. Um, but how can we take advantage of that in our businesses and then just even connecting with clients and kind of figuring out how brains work? Yeah, well, there's a lot. I mean, I could be here all day talking about it. I'll give you guys some <laughs> tips though. Um, First thing, the most obvious tip, sleep is very important. I mean, your brain needs sleep to reset brain connections that are important for memory and for learning. And studies show that just one night of losing sleep restricts the brain's ability to reset itself, which impairs your memory. So get mm -hmm. seven to nine hours of sleep per day. The problem is that, you know, being an entrepreneur, uh, people like me often sleep less. I don't know if there's been any studies proving this, but as a serial entrepreneur, I can tell you from experience. I've had far too many late nights and early mornings spent working. We don't clock in at eight and out at five. So tip number one for all you entrepreneurs, make sleep a priority. Um, being an effective mm. entrepreneur relies directly on your ability uh, on to be disciplined, to be priority driven, uh, to be focused on your goals. And you just can't do that with a tired state of mind. Um, tip number two, I know you can't see me right now. I'm in a pod, I'm doing a podcast, of course, but I would say stand up. I'm always standing up if possible, unless I'm just physically tired of standing. Uh, if you sit down at work, be sure to stand up. In fact, get a kneeling chair. If I, I rarely, if ever sit in a chair, um, your brain is more active when you're standing. Some of my best ideas have come when I'm taking a walk with my dog or something or, or my child. Um, whenever I'm not standing at my uh, desk, I'm using a kneeling chair, which is just a few dollars at, you know, anywhere, Office Depot or Amazon. Um, so those are 
two pretty easy uh, steps, right? Just get some more sleep and be sure to stand as much as possible. Um, I would say another tip would be to continue learning. Uh, you need to learn something new, learn a new language, read a new book, play a new sport, strengthen your skills as an entrepreneur by taking an online course. Like uh, I'm always uh, doing some kind of Udemy course or something like that. Uh, whatever sounds fun to you. The, the point here is, you know, keeping that brain, to keep that brain neuroplastic, you want to not just be so involved in one thing that you're doing, whether it's, um, you know, always working on your computer or something. You always, even if you're learning something new that has nothing to do with your actual task at hand that you typically do at work, you're still strengthening neural connections and making yourself smarter, faster, stronger, all that good stuff. Um, you know, if you exercise, that's a good one. Try a new workout. Learning something new strengthens the brain's ability to keep it neuroplastic. And speaking of exercise, there's another thing that you can do to help your brain because exercising increases the oxygen supply to your brain. So you get a kind of a two for one there. That's so oh, amazing. Gosh. I, I could go off. I think it's so important for our listeners. Like what you're saying is is pretty basic things, mm -hmm. but I, I think it's so important to get that, rem like to have our listeners remember those things. And we're actually renovating uh, an office right now. And my husband wanted me to get a standing desk and I like fought him on that. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to, I'm going to take that there to heart go. and be like, oh no, I need to <laughs> Yeah. A lot of this stuff I'm mentioning, it's not that it's not that it's new. Like, yes, you've heard get a lot of sleep, right? That's important. But now that you, we know through testing that it really mm -hmm. will help. Like it gives you that much more confident in how important it is. And, you know, here's one more thing that I didn't even mention, reducing stress, right? Everybody knows that's not, mm. that's not difficult to understand. You know, if you're, if you reduce stress, you're going to perform better, but, um, you know, daily meditation, mindfulness, all that super free, easy to use, quick, uh, easy to do quick to learn. Um, you can do it anywhere. So there's really no excuse and reducing stress is an absolute essential. If you want to create some neuroplasticity of your brain and be almost like a superhuman. I mean, if you can sleep a lot and keep your stress as low as possible, there's really no limit to what you can do, um, in terms of your brain's capacity and, you know, speed and, uh, the amount it can absorb, uh, new information, all that good stuff. Um, it just has no limits. Mm, yeah, I think that's so good. I think I was actually listening to uh, an audiobook. I'm such a a nerd for consistently learning. So I love that you sure. put that out there. I think that's so important, whether I'm learning about something related to my business or, you know, something just a random fact or something scientific or whatever. I, I love consistently learning. I do think it really, really changes the way I'm able to operate in my business and in my life. Um, but I was listening to an audiobook recently um, that was talking about the importance of sleep. And so many entrepreneurs, I think, and I, studies I think have shown this as well, almost take pride in the lack of sleep that they yeah. get. It makes them feel more productive mm -hmm. because they're getting four to five hours of sleep every night because they're working so late and getting up so early and hustling so hard. And the hustle is real. The grind is real. Mm -hmm. And there are, I think, certain very limited seasons where I can see, I did it for a season when I was working a full-time job and really building my photography business. And I was able to somehow push through that season and it really launched my business forward. But after a few months of that, I knew I could not sustain that. And it was damaging, like my ability to really function and work well and be most productive. Um, I think it's so important for entrepreneurs to recognize sleep is not a luxury. Sleep is an essential tool that we need to utilize in our business that actually yeah. is going to increase productivity. It's going to increase like you're 
saying now it's going to increase um, that neuroplasticity in our brains that allows us to create those new pathways to learn new things, to grow, to strengthen um, our businesses, to be successful. Like sleep is not a luxury. It's an essential vital tool that we have to implement as entrepreneurs. Yeah. It used to be cool to go without sleep. I mean, Bill Gates in the seventies and eighties used to talk about um, how he used to stay up all night and code and he used to wake up a little bit, li- literally falling asleep on the keyboard and wake up and code some again. Like he was just a monster when it came to, you know, just producing. Um, but now he's a big advocate for sleep. In fact, he, he if you follow him on LinkedIn, he's recommending books on how important sleep is. So he, he realized that he lost a lot of potential productivity back when he, at the most crucial time in his life, when he was building these billion dollar companies, uh, because he tried to go without sleep. And he fa- found out recently that, you know what? That was probably the opposite of what I should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think so with, cool. with entrepreneurs, I, I, I see everybody wanting to like feel busy because when you, when you're busy, quote unquote, you look successful. Yeah. And so I think that almost attributes itself to, oh, okay, I'm up all night sleep or not sleeping. I'm up all night mm-hmm. working away. Like I'm getting things done, but really it's so detrimental to your health. Right. Agreed. So Mike, moving like forward with mm-hmm. that, entrepreneurs do work a lot. They're very busy and they tend to multitask a lot as well because we're focusing on so many different moving parts in our business and and things happening at once. You most of the time being the the main person that everything is falling on. So do you have any sort of brain hacks or memorization tools or anything that entrepreneurs can do or implement to really help them in that area? Yeah, that's a good question. There's, um, there's a lot of cool little brain hacks. In fact, I mean, I'm not associated with this person, but there's a cool podcast, um, by Jim quick and his last name is K W I K, but he he has a whole show, uh, podcast on brain hacks. That's what he's known for. He's a popular speaker. And one of the things I learned from him is, is a brain hack called the method of loci, which I use almost every day. Um, loci is spelled L O C I. If anybody wants to Google it, um, loci is a Latin word meaning places. So this is a useful technique for entrepreneur who needs to remember things off the top of their head. For example, I used to not be very good with, um, memorizing names. So this is what a technique I use for memorizing names. Um, it could be a speech or the names of a lot of people, but I actually learned about this technique when I was uh, trying my hand at stand-up comedy through um, when I was listening to Jim Quick's podcast. Um, I was fascinated with how comedians could remember an entire 30 or 60 minute set without ever missing a word. And all you need for this is just a little bit of imagination. And this hack works well because um, we're going to associate words with images and your brain remembers images much more than words, much faster than words. Think about your a route you're familiar with any route this route um should have a beginning a middle and an end so let's do this memorization exercise together okay for example let's say we're going to take a flight and let's identify some key points all right so let's imagine as i'm saying this um point number one we're going to walk in a terminal door so the door is the terminal okay point number two we're going to get to the checkout counter what's the trigger the counter okay so we've got the terminal door, we've got the checkout counter. Point number three is a security checkpoint. What's the trigger? Security, okay? Point number four, and we'll do five points. Point number four is walking through the plane's door, okay? The trigger is the door of the plane. So just imagine yourself walking through the door of a plane. And then the last point, point five, is the plane lifts off. So the trigger is the plane lifting. So picture um, that point at which the wheels lift off the ground. 
Okay. So what we're going to do now is imagine you walk in a conference room at work and your boss says, please, uh, you know, please meet Jack, Jimmy, Diana, Hugh, and Phil. Okay. Just naming various names. Okay. So it's hard to remember <laughs> names, right? So how would you remember Jack, Jimmy, Diana, Hugh, and Phil, especially a lot of them at once. So I'm now going to associate a silly thing with each of those trigger points. Now, our first point was walking in the terminal door, right? The door being the trigger and mm -hmm. the first person is Jack. So I'm going to picture me having to squeeze by the door because there's a guy using a jackhammer in the doorway. Okay. So Jack mm -hmm. door. Okay. The second trigger was a checkout counter. The second person's name was Jim. And I remember when I was a kid, I used to put Jimmy's on my ice cream. That's silly, but that's just how I'm thinking about it. It's also known as sprinkles, <laughs> right? Um, so, <laughs> so I'm going to picture walking up to the checkout counter and seeing a big pile of Jimmy's. All right. And the third trigger was a security checkpoint. At the third name was Diana. So Diana starts with die, and I'm going to picture a dead person at the security checkpoint. Okay. <laughs> so that'll trigger Diana. Okay. That's the way you got to think about things. And this might seem slow, but once you do this a couple of times, it'll be almost instant in your brain. So Diana starts with die, and I'm going to picture, um, you know, this dead person, at the checkout counter. So it sounds morbid, but it works. And the first, the fourth trigger <laughs> is the plane, I'm sorry, the door of the plane, right? And we had uh, Hugh as a person's name. So Hugh sounds like huge. So I'm going to picture walking through the plane door and it's just huge. It's like 10 stories high. Just, I remember thinking it's the biggest plane door I've ever seen in my life. And the last trigger was the plane lifting off the ground and the fifth person's name is Phil. So Phil sounds like a, a stewardess could be filling my drink as the plane lifts off the ground. Okay. So let's do a recall. The audience is you know, playing along, who are these five people? So I walk in the terminal door, I see Jack, right? I get to the checkout counter, and what mm -hmm. do I see on the checkout counter? Jim, Jim right. Jimmy, Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy's. <laughs> I approach the security checkpoint, and I see a dead person who reminds me of the name. Diana. Diana, right. Diana. Very good. The fourth <laughs> trigger point was the plane's door, which was huge, which reminds me of what name? Hugh. And then the last this is one, so fun. last trigger, planes lifting off the ground. Do you remember the person's name and why? Phil, because the stewardess was filling That's your right. drink. And you know, the, the more you do that, I mean, you'll be surprised. I've seen people on YouTube that have memorized pi to like 10,000 numbers, you know, 3.14 dot, you know, whatever. And that's how they do that. They use the method of loci because they get better and better at associating um, a series of either numbers or names with trigger points. And that's how that works. Wow. Like, wow. that's so good. <laughs> I'm blown away by that. <laughs> like, even as you were taking us through that, I was like, yeah, I have the, all those names because you're associating it with a picture and like pictures are, uh, that makes so yeah. much sense. That, wow. <laughs> I have no words. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a try in real life and you'll, you'll be amazed. Hey, Heart Fam, we had to interrupt this episode real quick to share with you something that's revolutionized our workflow. Everyone always asks Evie and I what the number one investment is that we've made in our businesses. Without a doubt, the best investment we've ever made to get our life and time back is HoneyBook, a client relations management software. We both use HoneyBook every single day and legit could not live without it. 
It's an all-in-one project management tool that's designed specifically for creative entrepreneurs. I honestly don't know what I would do without HoneyBook. It streamlines everything. Email conversations, client workflow, contracts, invoicing, calendar integration. HoneyBook literally coordinates everything for my business. They thought of everything that a creative entrepreneur could need and combined it all in one place. From templates, brand customization, an app so that you can send invoices while you're on the go, all the way to the little ka-ching sound your phone makes every time you get paid, aka my favorite part. (laughs) HoneyBook gives you the ability to streamline an excellent client experience from your fingertips so you no longer have to spend 24-7 working in your business and you can finally get back to living your life instead. Guys, we know you're going to love HoneyBook just as much as we do. In addition to a free seven-day trial, we have an exclusive offer just for our podcast listeners. 50% off your first year of HoneyBook. Guys, that's a $200 value. All you have to do is go to share.honeybook.com slash heart and claim your discount. That's share.honeybook.com slash heart. Or you can check out the link in our show notes. I'm like super excited to get off this podcast interview just because I'm like, okay, now I want need something to really try this method and see you know how what it I works. Use, I use um, it on is a uh, grocery list. You know, my, uh, my wife saying, oh, you're going to the store. Be sure to pick up this, 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 and then she'll name like 10 things, right? I'm like, okay, so I have to memorize that between now and the, or maybe I'm in my car, right? Usually I have an app that I log that, but if I'm at a place where I'm just, you know, verbally talking to her, then that's the way I'll remember it. That's amazing. That's really good. Well then, other than that, have you put any of these uh, neuroplasticity exercises into practice yourself? Yeah, there's a neuroplasticity. uh, Actually, it's more of a meditation technique. It's called creative visualization. Uh, I had mentioned earlier that I'm a tennis player. So I heard about creative visualization from a woman named uh, Bianca Andreescu. She won the, the U.S. Open last year. and She's 19 years old. So the prior year, she didn't even qualify for the U.S. Open. And the next year, she, she, beat, she wins the U.S. Open, the entire title. Not only that, but she beat Serena Williams, arguably the, the best female tennis player of all time, right? In straight sets. Wow. So naturally, the media is asking her, like, how did you beat Serena Williams? How did you win the entire U.S. Open when the year before you didn't even qualify? And her answer was creative visualization. So I started looking into it. And I was reading a book. Um, I, I wound up getting a book called uh, The Power of Neuroplasticity by Shad Helmstetter. I highly recommend it. And he talks about how to do creative visualization. It's basically a meditation technique where instead of with meditation, you're just trying to clear your mind and reduce stress, you're doing the opposite. You're actually filling your mind with all these emotional thoughts about, in my case, winning a tennis match. So I'll go through the, I'll picture myself in slow motion, like hitting a perfect serve or holding a, a trophy over my head and filling my body with this emotion. The, the difference here is that your brain doesn't understand the difference between reality and imagination when it comes to stuff like that. So it gives you this ultimate confidence. Now, um, I'm in a really competitive league and I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm a superstar. Um, I usually, I lose about half as much as I win, you know, I mean, I'll lose, I'll lose about as much as I win. I have a 50, 50 record. Usually in this particular league, we go to other towns and cities and we, we play the other champions of that, of that town and city. Um, so I'll win some, I'll lose some, but this match that I had after doing this for three weeks, I did it for seven minutes a day for three weeks. And I played my first tennis match thinking about creative visualization every single day or doing creative visualization, thinking about tennis every single day for three weeks. So I went and I, you know, from hit number one, I noticed something was different. I was just on my game. I was warming up fantastic. Uh, I was hitting the sweet spot of my racket every time. Long story short, I won six zero six zero. The opponent didn't get another game. Uh, didn't get a game out of me. I won 12 wow. straight games. Never did that before. Never even came close. 
Um, so much so that the, the opponent, who had a pretty good record last year, got in his car right after the match and told his coach that I was some kind of ringer or blue chip or something. I was in the wrong league. Like they thought I was, you know, from a league like above where I should have been, which is definitely not the case. I had to show them my record last year. Um, you know, in the next, in the next <laughs> week I actually did it, played again. I won six Oh six two. I've been playing great tennis ever since. Um, so now creative visualization is a part of my life and you can do that with anything, being a better entrepreneur, um, any, any kind of goal you have in life, use creative visualization. It's fun. It's easy. It's free. It's seven minutes a day. And that's all it takes um, to schedule and make your life just amazing. Wow. That's Wait, why intriguing. seven minutes? I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Um, it's, it doesn't have a minute thing. You can do it longer. Um, the only reason why I did seven minutes is because that's what uh, Shad Helmstetter in his book, The Power of Neuroplasticity, recommends starting at. And that's just where I've been at ever since. Uh, I do creative visualization in the afternoon. I do my meditation in the morning. So it's just a scheduling thing for me. When I block off time on my Google Calendar, I block off 15 minutes um, for creative visualization. It takes me a few minutes to kind of get settled down, turn on the lights, turn off my phone, and then I'd spend seven minutes doing it. Wow. wow. That's amazing. We actually, we've just talked recently a lot about the power of your words and how your words can really mm -hmm. affect the outcome in your situation. And mm -hmm. I think your thoughts dictate your words. And we've talked about that, but I've never actually considered and thought about like specifically um, like creative visualization of, of putting yourself in a positive scenario in the future of like where you want to be, like visualizing yourself there where you want yeah. to be. Like I've never actually taken the time to think of how that can affect our outcome or our, our circumstances now or in the future. That's so Yeah, cool. I used to think it was kind of hokey, like hippy dippy stuff when I heard about that. And I figured, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. It's, it's free. It's seven minutes. Like how, how much could it really hurt? What am I, what am I really going to hurt by not doing this? So, uh, and now I'm just a full on believer. That's amazing. I okay. love that. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I would love to hear your thoughts on how entrepreneurs um, can utilize some of the latest techniques in neuroscience when it comes to their productivity, like ways to become more ultra productive or improve their productivity as an entrepreneur. Yeah. So um, number one, uh, there's something called the Parkinson's law, which basically says, um, you can click your whole workday and never really achieve anything. You just click, 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 check Facebook, click again. It, it's basic Parkinson's law basically says work fills itself. Um, and instead of having work dictate you, you can learn how to dictate work. And there's a couple things that I do, uh, that are productivity techniques. And I combine two things that uh, seem to work for me. These may not work for you, but um, they work for me very well and uh, give them a try. Um, number one is time blocking. So everybody should be using a calendar and then everything goes in your calendar, not just appointments, not just meetings, which is what mm -hmm. typically people use. So if I want to, I'm a marketing consultant. If I want to knock out some work for a client, I will put that on my, uh, on my calendar um, for 20 mm -hmm. minutes. Right. And then I also use uh, a Google Chrome extension called focus me. And there's a lot of Chrome extensions out there that do this, but it's basically the, a uh, what's called a Pomodoro timer. Uh, and I have this set for uh, 20 minutes on, five minutes off, which is where I'm at right now. I'm looking to increase that. Basically, it says your phone is away, not out of arm's length, because if it goes off, that's going to distract me. It's away. It's out of my room for 20 minutes. And then, you know, if I'm sitting on my computer for 20 minutes, focusing on the work that's time blocked on my calendar, five minutes, I'm getting away from my computer. I'm walking my dog. I'm playing with my daughter or whatever. And then that is my five minute break. And then you do 
three of those sprints, you do a 20 minute on five minute off three times, and then you take a 30 minute break that will keep you so ridiculously productive that you can do more in a week than you are can typically do in a, in a month. Um, but it takes, it's like mm. going to the gym. It's like, you can't just show up and bench press, you know, 300 pounds on, on day one, right? It takes, uh, a work step-by-step work. So I started off with a Pomodoro of seven minutes on three minutes off, and then I've worked my way up to 20 minutes. The goal for me is to get up to 40 minutes before the end of the first quarter. So if you have a goal of how to increase your, your focus with the Pomodoro, you, the amount of work you can get done is just mind blowing. And, um, you'll be uh, amazed at how, uh, that reduces stress, but also, um, you're the output. And for people like me that are freelancers, consultants, like our time is our money and what we can do within that time is billable. Um, it just makes it, uh, it makes you so much more billable. Mm-hmm. I'm mind blown by this. Yeah. I think, have you read deep work? Yeah. Um, I'm reading it right now, actually, I'm, I'm about um, oh. 90% of the way through it. Everything that you just talked about reminded me of that book. And I am a new mom. Uh, We had our first baby back in June. And before we had her, I was the notorious person that would would sit down and just be kind of like, la-di-da. And like I would get stuff done, but it would take so long. And it's because I didn't have anything kind of in my way that prevented me from getting stuff done. And now as a mom, I have like very intentional time blocks when she's napping or when my watching her. So I relate to that so much. Um, and I'm slowly starting to implement that type of work, which is like batching super focused time. And it's incredible. I'm so glad you shared that. Yeah. It's interesting that you said that as well, because I didn't start using the Pomodoro technique until I had my daughter in June. Um, also June 27th. So I was, that's that's my daughter's uh, birthday. Well, happy seven month anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> happy seven month birthday. <laughs> the same birthday. Um, that's fantastic. Well, um, it's uh, it's really difficult, as you know now, to stay focused on the um, uh, on the task at hand when you've got a screaming baby or your nanny has a question for you or whatever the case, right? Um, so I started looking for a way to increase my my focused work, and that was um, this is the combination I use is time blocking and. Pomodoro technique. And there's a lot of other techniques that I may or may not try, but this seems to be working for me now. That's amazing. I think, I think people recognizing for me as well, I used to work like 15, 16 hour work days, like every single, like seven days a week. And I, I recognized slowly, I'm actually getting the amount done in this amount of time. As I started really implementing, I started implementing time blocking and, uh, deep work, um, like sessions and everything probably about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. And I cut my work hours and I usually work around eight to four, mm. um, every day. And I get more done eight to four, six days a week. Um, sometimes five that I used to get 15 to 16 hour work days, seven yeah. days a week. Um, it's the productivity is just mind boggling when you actually set aside very focused, undistracted work time. Um, and your brain is just able to actually function at full capacity rather than constantly, you know, leaving that attention residue and everything jumping from task to task and getting distracted. I am such a fan. I've read deep work, I think four (laughs) times. Um, I am such, such a mega fan of focused working and undistracted. And I haven't heard actually the term Pomodoro. So I'm very curious about that. And I want to look into that, but 
essentially the same principle of setting aside work time on and then break time uh, to allow your brain to really work at full capacity. I yeah, love that. Yeah, if you, all you listeners out there um, saying, you know what, that sounds like a little too much work, but you want a quick hack, an easy thing to do is just make a stop time for your work. Um, when I stop mm-hmm. now, when my nanny leaves at four o'clock, um, it just forces me that I know I have certain things I need to get done today. And, you know, as an entrepreneur before that, I was just like, you know what? I can do this at six o'clock at night or eight o'clock at night, but you know what? A couple of beers in me and I don't feel like getting back to work. It never gets done. Right. It's just a, it's a way to procrastinate. So now I'm just, uh, mm-hmm. I, I make a stop time and yeah. I know that's the time I stop work every day. Emails can wait that come in after that. And that will force you to get more work done. So if you just want a quick, easy thing to do is just say, I will not do any work after this amount of time that will force you to get that much work done. And also if you like, um, uh, deep work, uh, I would sh- recommend you check out peak performance. It's along the same lines, has okay. a little bit of different techniques described, and it's all about productivity and focus and all that. So check out peak performance. Oh, I'm all about productivity. I will nerd out on that book for yeah. sure. <laughs> And we will link all the books that we're talking about for our listeners in the show notes. That way everyone's like, what are you talking about? We'll have them for you. Um, Okay, so Mike, what tips on the neuromarketing front do you have for our listeners who are selling products online, e-commerce listeners, all of that? Give us the tips. Okay, so up until this point, we're talking about like neuroplasticity. It's kind of like brain hacks and um, the power of your brain, all that stuff. Now we're kind of focused into neuromarketing, which is a, a subset of marketing with why people make buying decisions the way they do. And uh, it's a really fascinating uh, a field that's up and coming uh, because now that we know all this great stuff about the brain, we're able to really um, deep dive into why people are, how to get past uh, the, what what's called the, like the outer shell of your brain into the reptilian brain. You probably heard that phrase before. Um, so People have been actually studying the reptilian brain and, and how we surpass, you know, all these 400 advertisements we see every day or even more than that and, and create that buying trigger. Um, number one, if you own an e-commerce store or any kind of internet related business, always experiment with colors. Uh, color scheme is very important in marketing, has a unique way of triggering the target's uh, buyer's subconscious, uh, their desires, and it compels them into taking action. So red is usually associated with urgency. Think about your website right now if it has red on it. Is, it's forcing or not really forcing, it's suggesting urgency. Uh, blue is associated with trust. So if you have a brand that you want to um, exude as trust, a lot of co- uh, consultants have blue in their, in their website. Um, black is associated with high quality, orange, red, and yellow, which are associated with being inexpensive. So think about your website. If you're a high dollar consultant and you have orange on your website, you might want to think twice about uh, that. Um, because it's kind of exuding uh, inexpensiveness, right? Um, Studies have shown that our consumers actually uh, respond higher to relieving pain than seeking pleasure. So show how your products can reduce pain points for potential customers rather than how it makes their lives more enjoyable. That's a very important selling point. Um, Show scarcity. That's another one from a neuromarketing perspective. So studies show that people buy items that are scarce in inventory. So saying like only three left is um, good. Uh, so social proof, you've probably seen a lot of social proof widgets on, on websites lately. Um, I think there was like 84% of people trust online reviews. So go heavy on positive reviews and product endorsements, especially video endorsements. Cause a lot of, um, written ones kind of seem mm. fake nowadays. Um, the last one uh, I'd say is create a sense of urgency. So give potential customers the idea that, um, they stand to enjoy certain benefits if they purchase your products within a certain time period, for example. Wow. Wow. You just dumped yeah. trust 
like all of the marketing tips. Everything that you said was so fire. And as you were talking about the colors, I was so fascinated because I, I think of when I walk into Walmart or any store, whenever I see a sale tag, it's almost always yellow or orange. And you said like that's associated with cheap in my in people's yeah. minds. And if you just even like walk out into any store, you see that that's true. You see that in real life. So that's, that's mind blowing no to me. They do that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. I have so many thoughts on all of this, <laughs> but it's all so good. That was just like such a dump truck of information that like, like pretty much every thought that I've ever had on, on online marketing and that Lindsay and I have learned, grown, studied, implemented in our marketing strategies. You just went through the bullet point list of pretty much all of it. Yeah. uh, Whenever I'm a guest on podcasts, I try to make sure people don't listen to it at one and a half speed, uh, because I I want them to rewind it and listen to it at half speed (laughs) so they can get all that in. Yes. I well, love honestly, that. If, if there's any like 30 second to a minute clip of this episode, that's going to give the most tangible takeaway. Yeah. I mean, it's all been so, so good, but that was just <laughs> woo, all of it right there. Good. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh my gosh. Mike, this is amazing. You are brilliant and Thanks. everything from beginning to end that you have shared is so tangible, so actionable. I am so excited to see people's reactions to everything that you've dropped on this episode. Um, if people are wanting to know more about you, to read some of your books, to uh, maybe even get in touch with you, bringing you on as like a CMO, I don't know what size businesses you work with, but if if people are wanting to get to know you or get in touch with you, how can they yeah, do well, that? Um, for most people who don't own businesses, I just want to either make some extra side income or even be a full-time freelancer. Maybe you don't like corporate work. Uh, I have a startup. It's called Freelancer Masterclass. And it's basically a nine-step process on how exactly step-by-step to go out there and get yourself some business and become an expert in your field, whether it's marketing, design work, anything you can think of, whatever your passion is, you can make money doing it. And that's why I designed Freelancer Masterclass. It's for that solar entrepreneur, even that entrepreneur, that person who always uh, never really liked their job, never really hated it, but um, just kind of going through the motions. If you want to earn some side money uh, and even make it a full-time career, uh, you're turning into pa- uh, your uh, work into a passion, then by all means, go to Freelancer Masterclass. You can also go to my website if you want some consulting. Usually I work with companies that make a minimum of a million dollars or more in revenue, um, but uh, MikeVolkin.com, V-O-L-K-I-N.com. And I am trying to do a lot of public speaking this upcoming year, trying to get to a lot of conferences and events. So if any any of you out there um, want to hear me speak in front of a crowd, um, please point me in the right direction of a a conference you want me to be uh, uh, presenting at. That's great. And actually I did set up a... um, a webinar series, four of my most popular webinars uh, are at freelancermasterclass.com forward slash free. So you just go there and it will give you one webinar a day on how to make money online as a freelancer. Wow. That's oh amazing. We'll put all of those links in our show notes as cool. well. That, wow. I like, I'm just speechless because it, this episode has wow. been so good. Thank you for taking your time, Mike, to give us just all your knowledge and your wisdom well, for you. our listeners. We you guys are great hosts. Good questions. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you.